today we're talking about um, how to deal with how you feel when you're not quite where you want to be spiritually. So we're, and I'll explain the picture in just a second, but a new year is a natural break or a natural starting point. And so you're, we're at the end of the year, and so most of us, you know, have a little bit of an assessment. Hey, this last year, by the way, uh, don't you, aren't you looking forward to assessing 2020, which was just a train wreck? But we sort of, uh, we assess where we are, or at least maybe we should. It's a good time to, maybe, maybe I should encourage you to. Uh, it's a good time to think about, okay, this year is nearly over, and next year is nearly here, and so what am I going to do differently coming into the next year? Because here's what happens, and this is a picture, and the word I want to use today is entropy, and that is, it comes from the second law of thermodynamics, which I know is really impressive to you, but basically all it means is things left to themselves have a tendency to deteriorate. It just makes sense. So if you see a house and the, uh, the house is painted and the land, landscape is manicured, then you know somebody is taking care of that because that doesn't happen naturally. If you see a house like this, you know there's probably nobody living there, or if they are living there, they're not taking care of the house. And there's a house on, I, I wish I had taken a picture of it, on uh, 27 or 25, uh, Highway 25, uh, going toward Asheville. And on the left, if you're going that direction, um, it's overrun with kudzu. And you know nobody lives there because the house is being overtaken. That's entropy. That is left to its own devices. There's a tendency for things to deteriorate. It's the same with our spiritual lives, by the way. We, we get just comfortable in mediocrity if we're not careful. And so you'll come to church, you might hear a sermon, and you might hear a podcast, or you might hear something, a song, and you're motivated to do better. But we learn that we can live with mediocrity, and that's not a healthy place to be spiritually. And so we're about to enter a new year, and so let's think about, okay, if um, I feel like God wants me to do better, what, are, what do I need to do, and how can I do better, and why won't I? You know, what, what's the problem with this? Because the Bible talks about this a lot, actually. Um, here in Proverbs it says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. And that's not just talking about the stuff that you have. It's also your spiritual inventory. Make sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. In other words, when our spiritual lives are left to their own devices, we have a tendency for them to deteriorate. And so, we need to work to have a better spiritual life. Now, 2021 uh, is coming up. Most people will make resolutions. In fact, as you see by age group, uh, the younger you are, the more likely you are to make New Year's resolutions. Why do you think that is? You can go ahead and answer. Why do you think folks that are older don't make resolutions at the same pace or to the same um, level as uh, younger people. Why do you think it is? They've, they've had, they've, their experience teaches them that I can only do this so many times and now I'm disappointed with myself and so I'm just not going to make any resolutions at all. You're, I think you're exactly right. The thing is, <laughs> which leads me to the next point, most everybody makes New Year's resolutions and most everybody breaks New Year's resolutions. In fact, there's study, a lot of research around this. Uh, I have an app on my phone called Strava. Does anybody have that? Anybody else? Um, yeah, you're not very athletic. Uh, so as an athlete myself, <laughs> uh, 
I have that. <laughs> um, it actually uh, shows you how far you've walked or how far you've ridden a bike or that kind of thing. That, uh, so when I walk, I want to kind of know how, how far I've been. It's free is <laughs> the main reason I have it, and it does something I want it to do. Strava, though, did some research on how soon people break their New Year's resolutions. They found, on average, that people have already stopped their New Year's resolution, for the most part, by the third Thursday of January. So that's, you, we don't keep them very long, evidently. I mean, it's kind of like we're, we're, not, we're not staying with it. Foursquare is another um, online, it's another app. Same kind of research, or similar research, but what they studied was, when is there an uptick in fast food, and when is there a downtick in, in gym, not membership, but gym attendance, which kind of, you know... If, I'm, if, I've, uh, if I've resolved to be healthier, then fast food would be off and gym attendance would be up. And so when that switches, they find that that's kind of when people have given up on the resolution, at least for better health. Um, this year they predict that that will happen February 6th. Does anybody know what happens on the weekend of February 6th? Super Bowl. What? Your birthday? Oh, we'll be celebrating your birthday and giving up on all of our healthy stuff. That's, it's Mark King's fault, then, everybody. No, it it's becomes a, <laughs> there's this point in life where it's like, okay, well, then I'm just going to give up. Now, as followers of Jesus, maybe we decide, hey, I want to do better, because here's what I really believe. I think most of us as Christians want to be a better follower of Jesus. I think most of us want that. We, we want to be stronger in our faith. We want to be uh, better uh, parents as a, a Christian. I want to be a better Christian parent. I want to be a better uh, leader. I want to be a better worker. I want, I want Jesus to shine in my life. Most of us want that. And truth of the matter is God wants it because it's better for us if we're better. God tells us to do things that are better for us, that help us. But the final truth of the matter is that to be a better Christian takes work. And so we have a tendency to, to gravitate to, toward entropy because it's easier. Uh, being a better Christian, being more mature, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some resolve. And then we're going to have to ha- be disciplined. It's one thing to resolve to do something. It's another thing completely to be disciplined to do it. I want to show you a couple of verses in the book of Hebrews. Nobody exactly knows who wrote Hebrews. Most, most is the right word. Many scholars believe it's Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. But there's enough sort of iffiness about it that people don't exactly know who it was. Some people think it was Apollos. There's some uh, different ideas around that. Some people believe it was Priscilla, which would make it the only New Testament letter written by a woman. It's possible. It really is irrelevant to what the book says, though. And it's almost as if the writer of of chapter 6, verse 1, is a little bit frustrated with his audience. Look, look what he says, or she says. So, let us stop going over the basics of Christianity again and again. Let us go on instead to become mature in our understanding. And then it says, surely we don't need to start all over again. Surely we don't need that. As a dad, I don't know how many times I've said to my kids, surely you know better than that. It's almost like, what do, what do we say when our kids do something and, and it's, they should know better? We say, what, were you raised in a, what do we say? Were you raised in a barn? I mean, surely you know not to do that. 
And this is kind of the, the tone here. Surely you know, surely we don't need to start all over again with the importance of turning away from evil and placing our faith in God. That's so basic. Don't do bad stuff, do good stuff. So basic. Surely we're beyond that. And the, the notion is we should be beyond that. Those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time or a few years should be beyond that. And so how do we grow in our faith? How do we get a little bit better than that? Because as a parent, you want your kids to mature, and God wants us as His children to mature. And in a relationship, there's, there's development that goes on. Uh, I've been married now for 30 years. Miriam and I, we, we have a, you know, a, a good relationship, and, and that's been developing over years and years and years. I remember early on in our marriage, I took her with me to the doctor one time. I had an annual checkup. And I had gone in for the checkup, and I was kind of in the other room getting dressed, and I could hear the conversation between the doctor and Miriam. And the doctor, very seriously, I could kind of hear his tone, said, I don't like the way he looks. And Miriam said, I don't either, but he's handy around the house. Uh, So I don't take her anymore. There's a a, a relationship rhythm that you get into, right? So uh, what does it look like to be a mature follower of Christ. Well, there's some false assumptions. Let's get these out of the way. These aren't true. One of them is a person matures automatically. You just it's just going to happen, and it doesn't just going to happen. Again, we're much more prone to to entropy than we are to growth and to maturity. It it's much easier to get complacent than it is to work toward getting better, because complacency is easy and, and it's kind of where we fall into and it's it can just be it could just it could just be I don't have to do anything to to not grow and it doesn't happen automatically if you go into a home and you walk into the living room and and it's in order and and there are (laughs) there's nothing scattered about then you know somebody has taken care of that and you also know no teenagers live there and no uh, toddlers live there. You know, you know there's no kids uh, making a mess. And, and so you, you know, and, and if you drive by somebody's yard and there are bags and bags of leaves out by the road, that just didn't happen. That just doesn't happen. I prayed for that to happen. It doesn't happen that way. And if you ever see a, a kid who says yes ma'am and no ma'am and they're polite and thank you, and uh, that just didn't happen. Somebody has taught them. Uh, my girls grew up learning to use a knife and fork. I, I didn't grow up like that. I'm from Kentucky. Uh, if we wanted something on our fork, we used a piece of bread. That's how, we, that's how we functioned. I never used a knife in my life to eat with until I got married, other than cutting a steak. I, I just didn't do it. Now, you know, now I'm all proper, and uh, I'm very sophisticated now, and I know to use my knife. You know, I, I put my fork in my left hand and use my knife in my right hand because that's the way the Europeans do it. I married a woman, and she taught me, and she was embarrassed of me, and she said, honey, I can't take you out. And uh, so eventually, um, uh, you know, I, I, honestly, I just watched. I'm like, oh, that, that makes sense. And our girls, they, they've grown up with that. If you see somebody using a knife and a fork, they, somebody taught them. We taught them, hey, use your knife for that. And we would say to our kids, use your knife for that. Um, they've been taught. Think about this. Tarzan, no parents, bad manners. So uh, you have to understand, there's, a, there's a, a process. It doesn't come automatically. Second thing you have to understand, maturity does not come with experience. You wish it would. Oh, if it were true. 
If, if, only, if it only took experience to mature. But it, it's not that way. I'm going to give you the best example I could come up with. This is a picture of Jerry Jones, owner of the Dallas Cowboys. Um, my friend Keith, I, guess, I bet you know this answer. Uh, when was the last time the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl? Do you remember the year? 95, 96. That's right, 96. 96. Um, 95 season, 96 was the year that we actually won it. Uh, when was the last time we were in the Super Bowl? That's right. Uh, same year, right? right okay. Um, do, do you, how good are you at math? How many years ago was that? It's 25. Uh, he's a teacher. Uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> teach history. <laughs> he doesn't teach math. <laughs> and I'll put you on the spot. I'm sorry. It's been a long time. All right. So, Jerry Jones buys the Cowboys in 1989. They were horrible. Um, but before you know it, they win three Super Bowls in four years. Remember that? That was when God was on his throne and all things were right. It was great. It was a great time in the world. Now, since then, we've had six coaches and one owner. So maybe the coaching isn't the problem, right? I, I, think, I think it's safe to say maybe the guy with the trophy might be the issue. Um, Phil Collins, you know the drummer who was a singer, he one time, he was on his, he's on his fourth marriage and he said, after you've been divorced three times, you may need to look in the mirror. Maybe it's your fault. And, and there's a, sometimes it's our own fault. Experience isn't always an indicator of maturity. You can be incredibly experienced in really, really bad, bad choices. I mean, you can make the same choices over and over. And a lot of times we do that because they're familiar. We do the same things over and over, not because they're better for us, it's just familiar to us. And we're a little bit worried about change, and we don't, the, the, the unknown is tough, and so we'll just choose the same things, even though it's not going to get us where we want to go. And we kind of know that intuitively, and maybe just instinctively, we know it's not going to get us where we want to go. We do the same things over and over because it's comfortable, it's familiar. We, we know this. We don't like this, but at least we know it. That's why women will stay with abusive husbands. They're scared to do anything else. And so, experience doesn't equal maturity. We, I wish it were so. Another kind of a, a false idea out there, a false assumption, is that the older I get, the more mature I get. This certainly isn't true. One of the most mature spiritual people I ever met is a guy named David Blakeman. David Blakeman is a friend of mine. He lives in Kentucky. David is uber intelligent. Uh, when he was in high school, he won pole vaulting state championship. Um, I met David when he was 17 years old. And at, at 17 years old, he was one of the most mature people I knew even when he was 17. He was just very mature for his age. And he's really, really mature now, and he's really, really always been mature, and every time I talk to him, I'm like, man, um, he is just, he's younger than me, but really mature. It's not about age, he just has always kind of been there. Now, also, I've been in churches with older people, and I would swear to you they were baptized in pickle juice. They are so sour. They are sour about everything. Everything is a complaint. They don't like anything. They're not happy with anything. They're going to tell you they're not happy with anything. They're going to tell you they're not happy with everything. We call them the frozen chosen. They are just really, really not happy. 
and just always aggravated. Part of being mature is when you care less about yourself and more about others. Part of being mature is when you can put others above yourself. That's when you know that you're reaching a level of maturity. So with kids and the family, let's say in your family, you've got, there are three of you, uh, or there are four of you, and there are three cupcakes. Three cupcakes, four of you. I'm not good with math, but that's not good math. Three cupcakes, four of you. Now, in a typical family, if there are three cupcakes and four of you, who doesn't get a cupcake? Dad, my eye. Uh. We'll be doing counseling later. Um, typically, it's mom. So I'll say stuff like this to my sweet wife. I'll say, Miriam, do you want that? No, honey, you take it. And man, I mean, she doesn't have to say The words are barely out of her mouth. When she starts going, I, I am grabbing that thing. Because I know what she's going to say, because she always says that. Because somebody is more mature, and it's always Miriam. This is how it works. Somebody in the group has to be the one that says, I don't have to get my way. That's maturity. That's spiritual maturity. And so we, we live with people, and I've been in churches, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I love our church. I love it because that hardly ever happens. Hardly ever happens that somebody has to have their own way. I love that. Part of being mature, and I've got friends who are pastors who have to deal with that a lot. And so just because you're older doesn't mean you're mature, especially as it goes as spiritual issues. One more. The more I know, the more I grow. Not so much. You would think that the more biblical knowledge you have, the more you'd be mature spiritually. Now, biblical knowledge is something I would encourage for you. I think it's really, really good. But you can be really smart, know lots of facts, and still not be very mature. In fact, there was a guy who was sentenced to solitary confinement. He was the the prince of Grenada, and he was... Sentenced to solitary confinement. He was in solitary confinement for 34 years, which I don't know how you don't go mad, frankly. And he was given one book, the Bible. That's all he could read. That's all he could do. He read the Bible over and over and over and over because that's all he had to do. Now, he became incredibly knowledgeable of trivia. He knew what the middle verse in the Bible was. He knew what the longest verse in the Bible was. He knew what verse in the Bible had the most letters. He knew what verse in the Bible had all the letters but one. He knew all this kind of stuff. He knew it all. If, if he had been on Jeopardy, uh, he would have killed it in the, uh, the Bible category. He knew all that stuff. He knew about the Bible. He looked at the Bible as a book, but the Bible never changed him. He never became a follower of Jesus as far as we know. You can know a whole lot about the Bible and still not be changed. It's not information that changes us. It's application of information that changes us. And so it's not so much how much I know, it's what I do with what I know. I know a little bit about the heart now. You know, I had a heart attack when I was 40. I know I've got, you know, chambers, and uh, I know I've got three stents in my left descending artery. I always say that to whoever asks me, like I know anything. I don't even know what that means, but I, I know that's what I've got. Uh, I know in my heart I've got, you've got electrical wires, and I've got a bundle block. I mean, my heart is a mess, evidently. And so uh, that's something that's important, evidently. And I tell people, hey, man, I've got a bundle block, but you don't want me operating on your heart. I know a little bit about it. I've got some knowledge, but I'm not, I don't have enough. It doesn't make me an expert. Information isn't enough. You have to do something with the information. I've got a buddy speaking of hearts. He 
uh, had a heart, a minor, minor heart attack the other day. But it has caused him to take action. And so I texted him on Christmas. I said, hey man, how you doing? Uh, just gonna check up on your heart. You know, how you doing? And he said, I've lost, thir- I've lost 25 pounds. First thing he said to me, I- I'm doing great. I've lost 25 pounds. And so I'm making the assumption that the doctor said, hey, you're a little overweight. You need to lose some of that weight because of your heart's sake. When we're motivated to change, we'll change. We don't just do it because we're old. We don't just do it because of experience. We don't just do it because we know. We are motivated to change because it will do something for us. And I'm going to tell you the truth. There's really something important about spiritual growth. It'll do something for you. So let's talk about what what it takes. Because this is really important. I need you to understand this. Growing spiritually is work, and I wish I had to put hard work. If you want to add it in your notes, it's hard work. Colossians 1 says, We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I think verse 10 is something we could all, I would hope if you're a follower of Jesus, you'd want for your life. Then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. I think we all want that if we're followers of Jesus. I, I don't want to disgrace God. I don't want to dishonor Him. I want it my life to honor and please the Lord. And then he says, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. I want that. I'd like my life to produce good fruit. I'd like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. I'd like all those things to be evident in my life. I read a cute little poem the other day. It's sort of a takeoff on the footprints poem. You all know that poem, right? I, you know, I was walking in the sand and it got difficult. And you know, the, the idea is, God, you left me. But really, the whole, the whole at the end of the story, it's God was carrying you the whole way. It's, kind of, it's a beautiful, sweet poem. This one, not so sweet, but it's kind of cute. One night, he says, I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen. The footprints of my precious Lord, but mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared, and I asked the Lord, what have we here? These prints are large and round and neat, but Lord, they are too big for feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for mine I carried you alone. I challenged you and walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. You disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith you would not know. So I got tired, though I love you dear. And that's where I dropped you on your rear. Uh, that, that's not, not quite footprints in the sand, but it's kind of funny. And, and it takes some effort. It takes some effort on our part. It's work to grow spiritually. The second thing that we have to understand is this. Spiritual maturity takes time. It doesn't just happen. Here, look at this. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all His glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. Endurance and patience aren't words that we typically love. We don't love those words because it means that takes time. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait for things. Let me show you a picture. This is a bristlecone pine tree. A bristlecone pine tree. They're found in arid areas. I needed to look this up. Uh, we lived in New Mexico, and you see this terrain. Uh, some of where we lived looked like that. I wonder if these pine trees grow there. They grow at, at really high elevations. Uh, as they've been found near two miles above sea level. That's really high. Um, they live to be over a thousand years old if the conditions are right. 
But what's really interesting about the conditions being right is they're not the conditions that you and I would think would be optimal for growing a tree. I mean, when I think about growing a tree, I think it needs enough sunlight, it needs enough soil, it needs enough precipitation. Well, as you can see, this tree grows out of the stone. And you can tell by the terrain around it, it doesn't get a lot of rain. It's not a lot of precipitation. In fact, the optimal place for the bristlecone pine to grow is in high elevation, uh, rocky soil or no soil on the rocks, and very little precipitation. But because it's difficult, these conditions, in fact, the experts say the environmental adversities actually contribute to their longevity. When they grow, they grow dense. Their wood is incredibly hard. Uh, pests can't penetrate. Um, they grow strong and they grow uh, hard and, and the difficulty makes it more and more um, enduring. And I think about us. We live in America. It's easy to be a Christian right now. It may, it may change, but right now it's easy to be a Christian. Uh, we have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion. All those things are a blessing from God, but it sometimes makes us soft. And we complain about lots of little things, little things that aren't perfect. By the way, they find bristlecone pines in better conditions or what we would consider better conditions. They don't last as long. They don't grow as strong. They die much sooner. What we would consider perfect conditions, the bristlecone pine doesn't take to that. And what we would consider perfect conditions to grow Christians may not be perfect conditions at all. Because you think about, and when you read about Christians in other places where it's difficult to be a follower of Jesus. I think about my friend, our friend Vlad Sabot, who uh, is one of our elders at church. His parents um, are, live in Romania, and they lived in Romania when it was communist, and it was illegal to be a Christian. And his dad was a preacher in a country when it was illegal to be a Christian. And their faith grew and grew and grew. I mean, that man is, uh, you can just be around him and you know, you can just sense his mom's like that. You can just sense the Holy Spirit in them. Christians in China, where it is illegal to be a Christian, the growth of the church, and I don't mean buildings, I mean people, the growth of the people in China who are followers of Jesus is exponential. It's exploding. And, and sometimes we think, well, how can that be? It's difficult. Well, maybe it's because it's difficult. At that point, when you proclaim Christ, it's not just, I'm going to do it because my mom and dad do it. I'm not going to just do it because it's culturally acceptable. In fact, if I do it, it's going to be anti-cultural. It's going to be difficult to live. I make that commitment understanding that I am taking on a challenge. I'm not sure that's not the best thing. Maybe we need to be challenged more to our faith, toward our faith. So, we need to understand... Um, it takes patience and endurance, and growing spiritually certainly takes time. A third thing is this. Growth and change always go together. You can, um, change, you can grow and not change. You can change and not grow, but you can't grow and not change. If you grow, you're changing. Change and growth go together. And so... We accept Christ, that's a starting point. 
When, I did it when I was seven years old. At seven years old, I knew I, I was a sinner even at seven. I knew I needed somebody to forgive my sins. I knew I needed somebody to guide my life. And so at seven years old, I prayed a prayer and I asked Jesus to take my sins away and guide my life. I, I made a commitment. I stepped from light into darkness. I'm, I'm sorry, darkness into light. Darkness into light. The other way around really isn't good. Uh, that's a bad thing. Uh, I stepped from darkness into light. And I made that commitment. And that's a starting point, but that's not where we're supposed to stay. It takes uh, change. Some things you have to change in your life. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. And when we know God better and better, He will teach us to change things in our lives. A lot of times, that's giving something up. Now, I learned to keyboard when I was in high school. Uh, I was like the only dude in the class and a bunch of girls. It was great. And uh, I learned to type. Now, the typewriter, you know, ASDF, and you know the letters, and you learn to type that way, and now you don't have, I don't have to think about it now, but back in the day, you had to think about what the letters were. Those, that keyboard was actually designed to slow typing down, because when typewriters were invented, they were manual, and there were little arms that would actually take ink and put it on paper, and these arms were moving, and if you typed too fast, if you weren't careful, they would catch on each other. So whoever invented the keyboard invented it to slow the typist down. Now, 50, 60 years ago, a guy came along. He said, well, we don't need that anymore. He invented a new typewriter. It's this one. It's called the, let me see if I can get the word right, uh, Dvorak, D-V-O-R-A-K, simplified keyboard. Now, it's not like the keyboard that you use. It's designed uh, to type, uh, 56% of the letters you use are on your right hand, um, the ones you use most are in the middle row. Uh, if you could perfect this, it is said that you can type five times faster with no more errors. Does anybody use this keyboard? You want to know why? Because it would take change. Do I want to learn this keyboard? No, because I know the other keyboard. I already know it. I don't have to think about it. I'd have to really, really think about this. Now, it doesn't benefit me now that it's faster. I don't care about being fast. In fact, now I can just talk into something and, and it, I, I don't even have to type if I really don't want to. But what's interesting to me is we don't change because it's difficult. And sometimes God asks us to change. And sometimes the change is you've got to leave some things behind. There's a guy named Abram in the scriptures. God says to Abram, leave your country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's house. And go to a land I'll show you, and I'll cause you to become the father of a great nation. And I'll bless you, and you'll be a blessing to others, but you've got to leave. You've got to put some stuff behind. And so for us, the change might be, I accept change when it benefits me. What am I going to change? I might have to change my schedule. Maybe I'm going to need to give some things up. I'm going to need to give up something I watch, or I'm going to need to give up something I do, or I'm going to need to give up a hobby, or I'm going to need to give up um, doing everything for myself. I need to find a place to serve. I'm going to change. I'm going to find, uh, maybe the Lord is calling me to be a giver, and I'm really not a giver, and I need to find some places to give. How can I give? What can it look like? I may have to pull some money back from stuff I want to do so I can give to others. Maybe it's I need to make some peace with somebody because the change I need to make is to be at living, living at peace with someone else. The, the, the question for the year is really going to be, what changes are required for me to grow spiritually? All right, so 2021 is almost here. 
I'm going to assess my 2020. Uh, I find, man, spiritually, I'm not quite where I want to be. What can I do for 2021 to make it better? And I might have to change some things. What do I need to change spiritually to grow? Fourth thing that is important is that growth is a team effort. I need people in my life to help me grow just the way it is. So I have a group of elders at church that help me grow. We keep each other accountable. We talk about things. It helps me think about things. These guys are spiritual and mature, and they help me. I, I need that group. I'm also in a group of pastors. And uh, we, we kind of have similar things going on in our lives. And so I'll talk to those guys, and they'll talk to me, and that helps me grow. Um, I'm involved in small groups. We're going to start small groups back first of the year sometime. And, and when we do, it's important to be on a team because we spur one another on to growth. It says, under the Holy Spirit's direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. It's good. This is a big team, but it's also good to be on a smaller team. It's also good to get together with some folks to grow. It's been difficult this last year because of, of COVID and all those things. And how do you get together and how do you meet? And, and I think it's one of the reasons why the Bible says, do not neglect meeting together. We need each other to grow. Super important. So, if you want like a, a quick start, what, what things should you plan for for 2021? Let me give you four real quick. The first one is... I don't think there's any way to grow spiritually without reading your Bible. I just don't think there is. And so I'm going to read through the New Testament uh, this year, and I'm going to do less reading. I usually read through the whole Bible. This year I'm just going to read the New Testament. I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to do less reading, but I'm going to think about it more. Kind of, I'm going to take the less and more approach. I'm going to read it, and then um, I'm going to try to think through, okay, what's God talking to me today through this text? I think it's probably going to be about a chapter a day, or maybe even less, actually. I think you can go through the New Testament uh, in 160 days if you read a chapter a day. I think that's right. I may not be exactly right about that. But anyway, um, you can do it pretty fast. And so I'm going to read through the New Testament, and I'm going to, I'm going to think about it. I may write some things down. This is kind of what I'm going to do for me this year. Now, a lot of times what happens is I commit to, hey, I'm going to read my Bible, and then you know, February 3rd, Thursday, and I, I, I skip a day, and I'm like, well, I, I just have to quit. You don't have to quit. You can skip a day. You can start over. You can begin again. It really doesn't matter. Just don't quit. This is a commitment. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to talk to you about it a lot. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about it again next week in a little bit more detail. Just don't quit. If you get started and you, and you stumble and you sputter, it's okay. Just... <laughs> Don't quit. Don't quit. Let, let me just urge you. Make prayer part of your life. Um, you pray before a meal. You pray while you're driving. Maybe you turn the radio off and you pray while you're driving. Um, for me, I think I've told you this many times, at night what I do as I lay my head on the pillow is I try to think of three to five things I'm really, really thankful for for the day. And I'll thank God for those and it'll spur me to prayer and, and it's a great way to end my day kind of talking to the Lord as I go to bed. Find some teammates. Uh, get in a group. We're going to make those available soon. Um, serve and give. Find a place to serve. Find a place to give. It doesn't have to be at church, by the way. Find a place to serve and find a place to give. We are most like God when we're serving and giving because that's what God does. He is a server and He's a giver. And it's important for us 
to serve and to give. I heard about a little girl, she fell out of bed and her mom came in the room and she said, Honey, what's wrong? And the little girl said, I think I stayed too close to the place I got in. And sometimes we get into the faith and we stay there and we really don't grow. And so this could be the year, 2021, it might be hard, it might be a difficult year, it might be a challenging year, but it also might be an incredible opportunity to grow spiritually year. Um, We have a tendency to do the things that are important to us. We have a tendency to do the things that matter to us. We have a a tendency to sacrifice for the things that matter to us. If... Growing spiritually is valuable to you. You'll do the things it takes. And I want to encourage you to at least consider this coming year. It's a good time to start. We're almost there. It's a good time to start something new spiritually. Okay? Thank you, Father, for loving us and for taking care of us and for showing us that maturity is your ambition for us because we're your children. You want us to grow up and you want us to be mature. Lord, help us to be the people you've created us to be. Let me be more specific. Help me to be the person you've created me to be. And help each of my friends here become the person you've created them to be. I pray it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.